0: Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron
1: door
0: behind me. Howdy, folks, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. I'm not going to beat around the bush very long in this episode. We are going to listen to a little chat that I had with a fiddle player by the name of Andy Leftwich. And in the course of the interview, You will hear his website, and you can go there and read all about his extensive bio. I will just tell you that he spent 15 years playing fiddle with Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder. That should be enough to convince you that he's a guy you might want to listen to. So let's just get right into it. Here is my little chat with Andy Leftwich. So I'm here with Andy Leftwich. Andy, welcome to Grass Talk Radio. How you doing today? Hey,
1: Brad. Oh, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me.
0: So just quickly, tell me and our audience what today you got up in the morning. Tell me what you did today.
1: Well, I actually got up, um, you know, around six o'clock. And, uh, you know, I always start my days with a little, uh, you know, prayer and Bible and just devotions. Stuff like that, and then, uh, then a cup of coffee, and um, you know, get ready for the day. And uh, just got out of the, the studio just a little bit ago. I, I just had a morning session today here in Nashville with um, uh, Michelle Katz. Michelle was producing a record on a fellow named Zachariah, and uh, Michelle was married to Jimmy Katz, the famous uh, guitar player here in Nashville that passed away just a few months ago. And, so we started his record uh, last year, and then we just finished it up this morning. So I'm just getting just getting out of the studio and heading back home for, uh, for some more recording uh, at the house here in just a little bit.
0: So. Just uh, what you might call a typical day at the office, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, for musicians, it's, it's either feast or famine, it seems like. You know, you, you, you have a run of days where you're working a ton, you know, all day long every day, and then you may have, you know, three or four days that you don't have anything. And so right. it's, uh, it's a tough schedule to sort of stay consistent with, but, um, you know, uh, definitely definitely want to work when it comes in.
0: Well, it's better than digging ditches.
1: Uh, well, I, mean, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm only good at one thing, and that's playing the fiddle, and that's about it. <laughs> even even myself would, would probably mess up digging a ditch. <laughs> so,
0: hey, trust it. me. Trust me, if you practice digging a ditch... As much as you probably have practiced the fiddle, I'm sure you'd get the hang of it.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: man. Hey, let's back up. I'm sure, I know I want to know, and I'm quite certain that the majority of the listeners want to know. How did you get started? I mean, when when did somebody first put an instrument in your hand and what was it? Was it the fiddle? And just just tell us a little bit about how you got started in your background. You're from Tennessee. And I assume you born and raised in Tennessee and still live in Tennessee. But anyway, just give us a little bit of your background and how you got sure. started.
1: Well, sure, brother. Um, well, I was uh, I was six years old, uh, and my dad was a musician. He played guitar and he played banjo, and uh, he had a few friends that you know he played with around uh, the area that we lived in White House, Tennessee. And uh, his fiddling buddy, uh, I think, had to move away for a job or something happened where, you know, he wasn't around anymore. So dad lost his fiddling buddy, his buddy. And so he, I guess, bought some cheap fiddle at a pawn shop and brought it home one day and, and uh, you know, had asked me to see if I could, you know, hold it. And uh, so, I, you know, here's a six-year-old kid holding a full-scale, you know, violin. Right. You know, so it felt like it was huge. But. Um, but after he got me holding it, you know, he showed me how to kind of move the bow across the strings and he told me this really simple tune, violin cabbage sound. And he taught me how to do the shuffle with the bow arm. And so that was the first thing I learned was that song with the shuffle. And I remember playing that song for like two hours that night. <laughs> so and he, and he would pick up the guitar and he would play rhythm as I would play the shuffle. And I just remember loving that sound. And it was so much fun. I'm sure I drove my mom and my sister crazy uh, that night. But <laughs> that was sort of the beginning for me. And, and since that day, I honestly can't remember a day going by that I never played. You know, I, I always you know found time in the day to uh, to play. And, and so after a few weeks of that, you know, Dad had uh, you know decided to take me to a film teacher in our area who could uh, you know work with me. Uh, show me some things that not. Right. And,
0: uh, yeah, let me ask you something. Um, at, at any stage in your playing, did you ever have any, what I would call classical training from a teacher who was truly more of a violinist? Uh, I'm just curious, because there are a lot of fiddle yeah. players that you run into out there today where it is very clear they have had that. Yeah. And I also know some fiddle players who either wish they had it, or maybe maybe at the five- or ten-year point went and took some lessons from a classical violinist. I'm just curious if you have.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, uh, well, actually, I never did take any classical lessons from any classical violinist player. Um, the, the lessons I took from were from guys who played fiddle tunes and bluegrass music, and so that's how I learned, is learning fiddle tunes. And uh, so every week I would go to my lessons, you know, we would... Uh, my fiddle teacher would show me a new fiddle tune song throughout the week and then um, you know if if he, if he felt like I could move on to another song then we would uh, and then so that's how I grew up with playing fiddle tunes at, uh, in bluegrass music. and one thing that my dad did for me that was really helpful was that he took me to a bluegrass competition. There's a big competition down here in Smithfield, Tennessee mm-hmm. called the uh, uh, the National Championship for beginner you know instrumentalist and so uh, he took me there and I think I was seven years old, my first trip to Smithville, and I remember seeing other kids my age that were better than me, <laughs> and so right. that was like that was a, a fuel on the fire for me was seeing somebody that knew something that I didn't know, and I just wanted to get around those guys and learn from those guys and And it just, like I said, fueled the fire for me to learn more and more. And so growing up playing bluegrass fiddle tunes and competing with those fiddle tunes was how I grew up. And so I actually have a lot of people ask me, you know, that grew up playing classical music or maybe grew up playing the Suzuki method. You know, how do I how do I get into bluegrass fiddle playing? And the first thing I tell them is you got to learn fiddle tunes. You know, fiddle tunes are a great way to learn. It's just a two part. That with a melody that is repetitive that repeats itself and um that that's easy to improvise around and so that's that's the first thing i tell them is to learn
0: fiddle tunes let me ask you did you you being there in tennessee uh there are obviously fiddle tune styles you know that stretch all the way from cape breton to texas and oklahoma and you know maybe even georgia it's different um but did you ever get into what I call the Texas style fiddling and, and the the contest scene and all that?
1: I sure did. In fact, that's um, when I discovered the um, when I discovered that record uh, Texas jam sessions with uh, Marco Croner, Benny Thomason, Texas right. Shorty, um, Terry Morris, and those guys. Right. When I discovered that record, I, I went I, I loved it. I loved the uh, the rhythm guitars that vinnie thompson would have um i'm sorry his son jeremy thompson would, would play the rhythm and i loved playing to that record i would learn those tunes and and i would get around some guys that could play that rhythm and i loved that style of fiddle playing and so basically from like age 12 and on that's all i played was those texas style fiddle players. yeah yeah and um yeah, those those are awesome songs, and, and you know to help you really develop your um, your bow arm. And uh, what's interesting about fiddle music is that you can sort of you can sort of tell where a fiddle player is from just by watching their bow arm. Uh, the left hand is pretty much the same, but you know some guys will play with the thumb underneath the frog and the bow, uh, whereas some guys will play with their hands maybe uh, up a little bit, you know, choked up a little bit on the mm-hmm. bow. And a lot of Cape breton style players will do that. And so it, it's sort of, you can sort of tell where a fiddle player is from just by watching the bow arm. In yeah. those Texas fiddle tunes, if you notice, most of those players, the thumb is resting underneath the frog of the bow. And most of the time, they're going to use probably the middle part of the bow all the way down to the end. They don't use a whole lot of the bow close to the right hand. And so it's, uh, it's interesting when you see those different styles of fiddle playing. Uh, the differences
0: in that bow arm. Yeah, that the whole thing of bowing a fiddle is extremely fascinating to me because I am so terrible at it. I've like, a, <laughs> I've got a fiddle playing buddy of mine that I will occasionally call and just ask him the most lame fiddle questions, you know, like, okay, how do you do this? Should I be playing this with a downstroke or an up, you know, stuff like that. I'm the worst fiddle player in the world, but I am gonna, in a minute, I'm gonna come back and ask you a couple of dumb Fiddle question. Since I have you here, I'm (laughs) going to make every use of that opportunity. But before we get to that, there's a big difference between that that Texas fiddle scene. It is a fiddle player's heaven because you just play and you start and you go until you're done. And there's no breaks, there's no backup, and you're surrounded yeah. by eight guitar players and three tenors' guitars, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people hooting and hollering, telling you how great you are. I mean, that is a wonderful scene, and I love my <laughs> Texas fiddle. I got probably all of, uh, what, what what's, uh, oh, um, you said his name, Terry. Um,
1: yep, Terry Morris. Terry
0: Morris. What's his brother's name?
1: Oh, I don't know. I see, it's
0: like Jeopardy when you come on my show. His brother oh, also man. is a fiddle player. Anyway, I have all of their stuff. And yeah. uh, I if I'm just sitting around, it's usually Texas fiddle that I'm playing. Just yeah. uh, as big a bluegrass nut as I am. But what I want to say, though, is that's a world of difference than Kenny Baker playing in the of B and yes. all this longbow and backup and playing breaks and... All that, the bluegrass scene is completely different. How did you get into that? And how did you, you know, like what was your first band situation?
1: Well, that's a great point, Brad. I'll tell you, you know, that Texas style playing is sort of a world of its own. And so I did grow up in that world playing those songs. But I knew that if I was going to pursue playing music for a living, you know, I needed to learn how to play behind a vocalist. And um, when I was, 15 years old i met Stuart duncan and when i met Stuart, my life changed i mean it was just my whole approach to fiddling changed um you know it, it became more about tone and timing and feel than it really did about arrangements and licks and so when you're throwing playing contest you know you've got three minutes to play everything you know to impress the judges so you can win a contest right and so when you go to playing behind a vocalist that you know how, how much can you stay in as little notes as possible? And that's, you know, I, I love that about Stuart Duncan and his his uh, approach to playing behind a vocal and in a band setting. And uh, and I try to emulate that every time I go to a session or any time I'm, I'm playing with vocalists, you know, I think about that. And so I try not to stay in the, I try not to get in the way of the vocalist. And, um, you know, working with Ricky Staggs for all those years, you know, uh, Ricky told me, he said, you know, because he's a fiddle player himself, his ear always sort of perks up when he hears a fiddle. So I have to be extra careful when I'm playing behind Ricky's vocals. Right. And so, um, so yeah, it was a big learning curve for me, no doubt. And uh, it took a while to sort of to get there. Um, Bobby Hicks was a great uh, mentor to me. I mean, he, he, I always loved Bobby's licks and the way he phrased things uh, you know, perfect bluegrass fiddle player. And, um, it just was a different style and a different approach to fiddling when I got around Bobby and Stuart and, um, started listening to those guys like, like Kenny Baker. Right. Um, and so, uh, obviously,
0: what was the first band first bluegrass band that you became the fiddle player for? Sure. You know, when when did you get up on the stage, aside from the contest stuff?
1: Yeah, so I, I, met, I met a lady named Valerie Smith when I was 15 years old, and Valerie had just released a record on, um, I believe it was Rebel Records. Do you she, do you
0: recall, I hate to interrupt you, do you recall about yeah. what year that was that you started with her?
1: Uh, yes, sir, it would have been probably 1996.
0: Okay. When I started. okay.
1: Yeah, 96 or 97, uh, somewhere around that, that time period. Uh, th-
0: the reason, and I want you to go ahead with your with your story, but the reason I'm asking is because I saw her play with Liberty Pike a number of times, and I was just sitting here while I was waiting on you to call, and I picked up this uh, Peach Blossom Bluegrass Festival program from 1999, and I opened it up, and it said here, coming soon at the Red Light Cafe in Atlanta, Georgia, um valerie smith and liberty pike and so that was 99 uh how long were you with her is there is it possible that i actually saw you at that show
1: yes sir that was that would have been me um i actually remember that night well but how about that i remember during sound check i broke a string on my fiddle and i went to go get an extra string in my fiddle case and realized i didn't have one and we played in less than an hour and i'm kind of panicking uh Thinking, where am I going to find a fiddle string? You well, know,
0: at the and, red light, at the red light, they always have a jam before the show. Was there another yep. fiddle player there?
1: There sure was. Uh, I don't know. Who I it was. And sure <laughs> enough, you know, thankfully they bailed me out. And, uh, but I, but I remember that day it was, a, it, was a, it was one of those moments that you know you, you take with you that you never leave the house without making sure you have extra string right and, you know that kind of thing so that's hilarious that you mentioned that because I just had that conversation with a friend of mine a couple of days ago I remember that night well and I remember walking into that place going this is a strange place yeah it's it's
0: kind of weird but it is for Atlanta yeah. it's it it is Atlanta's Station in, I mean, that's the one place in Atlanta for bluegrass. It's the place in Atlanta. I played there many times. In fact, our band uh, Cedar Hill was the first band to play on the regular Thursday night schedule, and we did it for years. And I saw so many people there. I mean, I saw you know John Hartford brought his whole band there, and just everybody coming through. Thursday night was a good night, you know, for a lot of these pass through. Gigs where maybe you're going to Florida and you know, on Friday, and that's probably how you guys got booked down there. But that's cool. I you know, I thought I know I had to have seen you play live at some point. I'll bet you I was there that night. I can't swear I was there, but I think I was.
1: That is so funny. Yeah, that that was a that was a while ago, and uh, I remember it well.
0: Well, I'm an old guy. See, I've been around. I, I you know. That doesn't seem like that long ago to me, but anyway. Uh, so how did you, um, obviously with, with Valerie Smith, you were playing a lot of festivals, and I, I saw her play. I don't know if you would have been with her then. I saw her play many times, um, you know, down here in Georgia at these kind of mid-sized bluegrass festivals, you know, where they have two or three name acts, maybe four that you might call national acts. And the rest would be the regional bands and stuff like that. Saw her several times though. I'm uh, who is who is the the tall redhead redhead that plays the fiddle, that played the fiddle with her? I can't call her name right now. Um uh,
1: was it Becky Buller? Yeah,
0: Becky Buller. Yeah, I saw she's her. She's, you know, e- easy to remember her when you see her play. And uh, but I was just curious, were you only a fiddle player in her band, or did you also play mandolin guitar and stuff like that?
1: Yes, sir. I played mandolin and fiddle in Valerie's band. Okay. Um, so I would swap between the two instruments. Uh, there was a, a really great guitar player that came with us. Uh, his name is Travis Alltop, And Travis I, you know, we still uh, we were close close friends. And uh, Travis is actually pastoring the church in Kentucky now. Oh. So, um, you know, we've, we've stayed in contact and played a lot of these together. In fact, Travis uh, has got... Several projects that he's released, uh, really great bluegrass projects that I helped him with, along with Darren Vincent and Jim Britton and a few other few other guys, and so it's uh, it's you know full circle for us for sure. And so we have a lot of memories with Valerie, and uh, I appreciate Valerie, you know, giving me my first job when I was 15. So that that
0: uh, is that was a wonderful opportunity, and certainly for she's a performer who. Uh, you know pours it out 100 110 percent I mean and yeah. it's it's just a great show she's so super enthusiastic and you know the crowd's always loved her and I I presume she's still playing and doing stuff I but how did you go then I mean it this has to be the dream gig to play in Kentucky Thunder with Ricky Skaggs did you step directly from Valerie's band into Ricky's <laughs>
1: Brother, I sure did. It was. Um, how really, did that no, I, happen? How? <laughs> a,
0: why did your phone ring? I mean, how did this happen?
1: Yeah, it, you know, and all I can say is it was a God thing. You know, I put put a lot of, uh, you know, at that point in my life, I was nineteen years old, and I was trying to debate whether I should go to college or if I should continue to pursue, you know, pursue music as my career. And you know, Valerie was a great gig. I enjoyed my time with her. Uh, it was, it was not as consistent as it needed to be uh, for me to stay there and pursue music as a career. So I started you know, praying about do you know, I go to college and try to find something to major in and maybe use music as, as something to fall back on. I, I didn't know. And so um, I just knew that if I, if I was going to pursue music as a career, that I needed to try to find somebody that I could play on a, on a more consistent basis. And, um, and so I knew Clay Hess at the time who was playing guitar for Ricky mm-hmm. and Clay and I had a mutual friend. Uh, his name is Jim Britton and, uh, both Clay and I were at our friend Jim's house one day and, uh, we were picking, playing some tunes and, um, you know, I, I just, I, I just briefly mentioned to Clay, I said, you know, Ricky's not looking for another fill player, is he? Um, you know, really, I, I said it sarcastically. I wasn't really being all that serious. And, right. and Clay, you know, Clay looks at me, and his eye, his eyebrows raised, and he said, actually, he is. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, you know, um I think Luke Bula was playing fiddle at the time with Ricky, and so Luke was moving on, and so Ricky was wanting somebody that could kind of, sort of, you know, somebody young that could come in and be a second fiddle player in that group under Bobby Hicks. And, um, Clay gave me the number to Mark Fain, who was uh, Ricky's road manager and bass player at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so connected with Mark and they invited me to uh, ride the bus with him up to Lexington, Kentucky and just sort of hang out, meet the guys, play a few songs at Soundcheck, And that was awesome. It was incredible. And so Ricky asked me that afternoon, he said, would you like to play the show with us tonight? And I, said, Man, I would love to. And, um, and so I've, you know, played on a handful of songs throughout the show. And at the end of the night, you know, Ricky uh, gets on the microphone in front of everybody and and says, hey, Andy, what are you doing for the next few years? <laughs> and, and so everybody starts, you know, he rubs and claps, and he sticks out his hand, and he shakes my hand on stage, and, and he hires me on stage in front of everybody that night. Wow. And so I just remember, you know, getting back on the bus and, you know, and asking Ricky, I was like, you know, are you serious or was that something you were just trying to get a rise out of the audience about? And he said, no. He said, I'm dead serious. Said, we've been. He said, I have been praying for somebody like you. And I just melted when he said that. I thought, man, that, that, that's incredible. You know, here's this legendary musician and, um, you know, he's hired me. And so I just remember going home that night, riding the bus going, man, my life has about to dramatically change. it was sort of that answered prayer that i you know i've been praying about you know it's like you know i could go to college or i could go to Ricky staggs university
0: right right
1: (laughs) i decided to go to rsu and uh and so brother i just it was a it was a god thing and all i can say is uh you know it's sort of being there at the right time at the right right place at the right time and just having connections and knowing folks um you know I have a lot of folks ask me you know how do I how do I sort of get my foot in the door to play music for a living and, right. and what I tell them is that you know you got to go where the action is you know you got to be as and for me I was fortunate enough to grow up near Nashville so I knew a lot of players and you know had had known a lot of guys who knew guys and so you sort of have to be here um, and just you know give yourself a couple of years to make connections and right. so Anyway, so man, I just credit that to the Lord, and and um, and I really appreciate Ricky taking a chance on me at 19 years old. I mean, I was I could play anything, but I was green as a stick, and so I had mm-hmm. a lot to learn. And um, Bobby Hicks was very patient with me and taught me a lot. Now, so I, I, how really
0: how long that. how long were you in his band? That was you started what year and and yep. uh
1: so, so I started in 2001. February of 2001 was my first date. And, uh, in 2016, I moved on from the band, uh, to, to pursue, you know, um, not only my own thing, but, uh, I felt like I, I got, I came to a crossroads where I needed to free myself up, make myself available for other things. Right. And, um, and also, uh, you know, I started doing some, some ministry work, uh, and I wanted to make sure I had the availability to do that as well.
0: Well, uh, let, let me ask you something sure. about that time period, because sure. it's real easy to say, okay, what was it, what would you say, 16 years, 15 years?
1: About oh, uh, 15 and a half years. Yeah, yes,
0: 15 sir. and a half years. It's real easy to just gloss over that, but there was a lot of stuff that happened in between, and I guess, let me ask you this, what was your your favorite part of that. Cause that's like getting on the bus and traveling and going and recording and play, 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 play. And, but there's tremendous amounts of downtime too, because you got to get from point A to point B and there's nothing to do during, you know, so <laughs> I'm just kind of curious, like yeah. the average bluegrass player is somewhere in the back of their mind wishes, you know, well, oh, I wish I could have done that but if if you don't mind, tell me yeah. what what you think was was the the best part of that, and what was the worst part of that you know that being on the road doing it full time top professional, you know what's yeah. the best of it? What's the worst of it? You can choose your order. you can do worst to first or if you, yeah, however yeah. you want to, but it's not huh. all a bed of roses. so I'm just curious to hear you describe. Yeah. What what was the good and the bad of it?
1: Well, no, it's a great question, and and folks get in their mind that you know, wow, you're living the dream; it must be amazing, and and and, and it is. There's there's great great times. Uh, I'll just start with the worst. You know, obviously for me, it was the sacrifice that you make being away from your family. Yeah. And when you're young uh, and you're single, it's not it's not a big sacrifice. Uh, you know, Rachel and I got married in 2006, and It just, you know, and she's always been, you know, she was, she's Cheryl White from The White, you know, she's her daughter. So she grew up, you know, knowing the scene and knowing that, you know, uh, being gone for shows and things like that. But there comes a time where you start missing out on things as you get older that you you really hate to miss out on. Um, And so that sort of hit me as I got older that, you know, man, I really... I, I, if I'm going to be gone, I want it to be for, uh, you know, for something that, uh, you know, I can either do with my wife or I can, you know, uh, do my own thing. Um, so it's sort of, it sort of the, the worst thing for me was the sacrifice being away from, being away from home. Right. Right. And uh, we're, you know, we're dedicated to our church. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that I was home on Sundays, and and, and I, I found myself um you know man we're on stage playing in front of thousand people and they're you know they're chanting on and rooting on and so but for me it was one of those things where my heart was just you know back at home and, and I felt like I needed to sort of step away from a gig tour that required me uh to be gone all of the time to where I could I could be home a little bit more and so that for me was the worst part, was just being away from
0: home. Yeah, I that, I, I understand yeah. that, and you know I've often I joke with my friends that my ultimate dream these days would be to get a call for either third time out or Del McCurry, who needs a bass player for a month, and then I could yeah. do a month, but I don't know if I want to do yeah. fifteen years. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> uh, and, R- and Ricky, you know, I mean he's he's a picker's picker, man. I mean he's going to be busy, and he's going to he's going to work, um, you know, just as much as anybody and he should work just as much as anybody. And, um, and it just came to a point where, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't commit to all the days. You know, right. if hey, I had it. If, yeah. How is,
0: yeah. how is life on the bus? So,
1: yeah, it depends on your guys that you're with. I mean, <laughs> we had, um, okay. So bus etiquette is, <laughs> that's something that has to be learned. And, uh, and, and, it, and sometimes you got to go through some hard times to learn it. And so like, you know, don't, don't, uh, leave the door open, you know, to the bunk area when the TV's off really loud and, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just, well, don't leave your empty cups and bottles. Yeah. Around, clean it you, out. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so all that stuff, you know, you got to learn it. But, uh, I had some great guys that I traveled with, um, in Ricky's band, uh, you know, that, that I, I mean, I cherish those, those moments, you know, just, Paul Brewster, for instance, I'm sure you're familiar with Paul, mm-hmm. you know, Paul and I, uh, Paul taught me how to play the game of golf. And so we would, we would go golfing, you know, when we got to the city that we were playing in, you know, yeah. we'd have all day long just in the hotel room. It's like, well, I don't want to sit in the hotel room. I want to go do something. And so we would go out and, you know, play golf. And then Paul and I would, you know, we had a tradition that we would make uh, really great pour over coffees before the show. Uh, we would get us a big bag of Starbucks before we left town that weekend, and we would we'd make a really good cup of coffee, and uh, we we'd talk and visit, and then we'd go play the show. And people would always come up to you and say, "Man, how do you play so fast?" And it's like, "Well, you know, <laughs> Starbucks makes a really good blend of coffee," <laughs> and so we would always joke and say they made the Bluegrass blend. And so we would um, that was you, sort of our you can
0: actually show. hear the caffeine on some of those Skaggs records.
1: <laughs> Oh, man, yeah, and, and and Ricky, for that matter, too, yeah, we would always, um, you know, make a nice good cup of coffee before the show, And I, I you know, little small things like that that you missed and, and really enjoy, um, you know, the bus driver would always, we would always leave at midnight, so we would get on the bus, and we would go straight to bed and wake up, and we would be in the, in the town that we were in, and, and uh, everybody sort of dispersed and do their own thing, you know, go to their hotel rooms, Um you know, as for me and Paul and some of the other guys in the band, we would go play golf. And so that was sort of the routine for us. And it was, uh, I always felt fresher um, when I was able to get out and enjoy the outside and come back and, you know, play a good show. And I just, I don't know, when I sat, when I sat in a hotel room all day long and cooped up, you know, in a hotel room, I just, I, I didn't like that. So yeah, yeah. for me, that was an enjoyable moment. Uh, but the most enjoyable moment Brad though I gotta tell you it's just playing the music with Ricky and those guys. I mean it was so much fun. the energy level it you know it was it was just just it was on 11 every night <laughs> it was a blast and um, well you know so, what the,
0: you know what the bad thing is Now you're spoiled rotten and <laughs> yeah. so you know you can't just like go to some, South Georgia bluegrass festival and hang out with some old dudes and pick until two in the morning, that ain't going to cut it for you. Cause you've, oh. you've tasted the real thing. You know what I mean? That's yeah. uh, it, it's, it's a tough thing when you've had really great experiences to try to duplicate those and find those. But it sounds well. like right now you're doing some of that. So what are you doing right now? I mean, who are you playing with? I know you're doing studio yeah. sessions and stuff. You're coming home from one right now but you're doing some performing and stuff too. Tell me what you're doing. Like, what are you yeah. into now?
1: Well, I tell you what I, what I'm, what I'm gearing up for right now. Um, uh, I, am sure you're familiar with Cody Hildy and, uh, Byron Howell. Mm-hmm. Byron is, uh, one of my favorite musicians in the world and Cody and I have played music forever. And, um, and I, you know, Cody always pushes me every time we're, we're together and, uh, his musicianship is second to none. I just love that guy and his, his ability. So whenever we can, we'll, we'll do trio shows. And, um, you know, songs that I've written, that Cody's written, and, uh, and it's a very instrumental, heavy, you know, arrangement. You know, it's one of the things that I enjoy because as opposed to a full band where you may have a solo and you feel maybe a verse to it here or there, the thing about the trio is that you've got more ground to cover more creativity that you can bring to a song. Yeah. And, um, and so with that, Cody and Byron, and I have worked up some, some cool instrumentals that we enjoy playing. Um, right now, uh, I'm actually gearing up for some Christmas shows with my wife.
0: Yeah. I, I saw that on your so, website, by the way, to the yeah. listeners, Andy dot just go there and you can see everything you need to, no, you can buy his records you can see his tour schedule uh, and this christmas album and the christmas shows tell us about it
1: yeah so we're excited about it um we're cody and byron uh, are going to join us for that and uh, but it's it's friends, more
0: than just the two of them right it's a little bigger show than that right
1: it is yep okay uh, spill it yeah, spill uh, it <laughs> yeah man so uh we're excited about it. rachel and i uh, obviously we did the stag's family christmas shows for uh you know, twelve or thirteen years with Rachel's family, the White and mm-hmm. uh, you know, Buck White and those guys. And so we would uh do those shows and we'd we'd be together at Christmas time and it was wonderful, we loved it. And a few years ago we had to stop doing that. Um and so Rachel and I were talking about it just a few years ago. It like, man, it'd be great to you know, to continue this and, and find a reason to, to sing these songs again and so I Called Cody and Byron and asked if they would join us and uh, our friends, uh, the Britton family, from our church. Uh, Jim Britton, his wife Rochelle, and their four girls, Chloe, Lindsay, Emily, and Bailey, and they they help us with harmonies and songs. And Jim plays the banjo and and guitar. And uh, and there's a, a friend of ours also from church, Miss Hannah Burns, who's going to play piano. And she's a great musician. She's in college right now in TSU. And it's just, uh, it's a great bunch of people that, uh, and we play, you know, traditional Christmas music, brother, that, and and along with a few of my instrumentals, and uh, it makes for a really, really fun night of music, and, uh,
0: you know. Yeah, and by the way, to the listener, all those dates, or the dates that are presently booked are on the website, AndyLeftWitch.com, go over there and check it out.
1: Um, yeah, and, hey, and I, uh, go ahead. I'd also like to say you know we're going to we're going to uh, offer the live stream as well uh ah. for folks who, who are, that are still feeling unsafe about you know being around crowds so so we'll have live stream uh, the capability for them to watch the live stream as well.
0: Yeah, that's 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 cool and smart from a business standpoint these days. Let me shift gears. I want to talk a little bit about actually the playing of the fiddle and fiddles in general. The fiddle And I know you play mandolin. I know you play guitar, and you probably play every other thing, like every bluegrass player I know. But you're primarily known as a fiddle player. So let's talk fiddles. Um, Yeah. The the fiddle, to me, is the odd instrument in the bluegrass world because it's the only one that there is not this big company like Gibson or (laughs) Martin. And it's, it's so hard to look at a fiddle commercially, like there, yeah. there's no label and headstock, you know, everything says Antonio Stradivari or or it's a Stainer <laughs> copy or a hop or whatever. Oh, yeah. So how does one go about selecting a fiddle? Your fiddles, I mean, every time I've heard you play, sound fantastic, which I know 50% of it is the guy playing it. I mean, probably way more than that, maybe 80%. But when when you're looking at a fiddle and when you pick a fiddle, how how do you go? How do you go about that? Do you care who made it, or oh, do man. you just care what it sounds like, like old red, or you know the you white know, fiddle, or whatever?
1: Yeah, you know, I asked Stuart Duncan one time. I said, you know, what was the um, what was the most you've ever spent on a fiddle? And I won't tell you the answer, but oh, go it, ahead. It, it, it is it's hilarious. I mean, you know, for me, I'm going to spend. Upwards to ten, fifteen thousand, maybe even twenty thousand dollars for a really great fiddle, and and it's like you know Stewart. What cracks me up so much about Stewart is he can take a piece of junk, he can whittle it down, he can do a few things to it, and make it sound absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I love that. And you're exactly right. Uh, a fiddle is different than guitars, Sanjo's. banjos. Uh, I mean, you just have to know who the builder is, and um, most builders. Uh, Will copy the the Stradivari, um, some and just like paintings, you know, some copies are better than other copies. Yeah, and uh, and it just it's all about you know the study of the builders throughout history, and uh, and who was known for making better copies than the next guy.
0: Well, let me uh, ask you: if you had ten fiddles laid out in front of you on a table, and you picked them up. What are you looking for? What what would you like in a fiddle? Yeah. Because they're all you know, ten made by the same yeah. person would all be different. What's the the sound or the feel or the weight or what is it? The sustain or the brightness or what? What do yeah. you kind of like when you pick one up and you say this one's a good one? How oh, what man. is it you're looking for?
1: Well, and, and fiddle players are different. For me, the most important thing for me is. Um, is uh, the tone and the playability? Uh, the, what I look for in the tone of the instrument is, is an like uh, I look for low end, a good low end, um, and a clear, uh, bright end of the instrument. You know, the mid range, um, you know, a good strong mid range and good low end is what most bluegrass fiddle players are going to lean toward. Whereas a violinist would probably lean toward more of a projection on the high end sort of thing. Um, for me, it's a mid-range, low-range uh, boost in the instrument. So if I find a good fiddle that has a, an awesome G and D string on it, I'm probably going to gravitate t- more toward that one. You know, that,
0: that is exactly how I feel about mandolins, too, by the way. And I think, I think the trend over the last 30 years has been towards more mellower, darker instruments yeah. in general. I mean, when you go back and listen to the stuff from the, the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, even in the banjo world, it was all about trying to cut through. And now yeah. it seems to be more like to blend and be more, I don't know. I think it's the yeah. same thing.
1: Well, with the technology of the gear that we're, what, that we're using these days, I mean, everything is so high frequency, you know, high five, you know, mm-hmm. uh, high depth definition for the hearing that... You know, most fiddle players when they get in the studio and they get on this really high-dollar microphone and preamp and stuff, you know, they, they cringe because it picks up, you know, all the, the bad stuff right. and yeah. you know all the squeaks and the bow noise and and anything that you know just a half step off or half you know just just a little bit off, you know, it's going to get picked up. So I like, you know, what I'm playing is a is, is a is a actually a Magini copy, made by a guy named Colin Mazin who built in the late 1800s. And, you know, uh, Deanie Richardson uh, is another fiddle player, great fiddle player, who plays uh, the same fiddle, you know, built by the same guy around the same time period. And uh, they just have a great mid and low range sound to them. And so I've been playing that thing now for, I think, 2007 is when I got it. And I love it. it. It works great in studio. The playability factor is another thing I look for, you know, how fast do the notes jump off of the instrument? How hard do I have to play the instrument to get the note to project? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously with, with Skaggs and, and that, you know, Kentucky Thunder, I needed something that I could play fast and, and have a lot of, um, you know, notes that uh, didn't sort of mesh together on the instrument. And uh, in this particular violin, is it's, uh, it's really great at that. I can, I can uh, you know, it, it's a very clean sounding violin, and I can play it uh, as loud and as fast as I want to play it, and I feel like it gives me it gives me what I put back into it. So
0: yeah, well, you're bringing up a point that I've tried to make on some of these podcasts in the past that people, when choosing an instrument, should close their eyes, don't look at the labels, and actually listen to the thing. You know yeah. because what sure. else is it about besides the sound I mean it is about the playability but a lot of times that
1: can be corrected by a good setup or you right. know, yeah there and are strings, some, you know yeah the strings have a great uh, big part in it too as well Stewart actually got me turned on to this uh tomastic super flexible string that I use and um, they sound they sound pretty pretty wiry when you first put them on but after a few hours of playing them in I mean they 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 sweeten up, and they are so great. I love the strings.
0: Yeah, that that's cool. There's your endorsement. Maybe I can get me a sponsor for the show. Hey, let me ask you about the bow because, I mean, everybody who plays a, a pl- you know a plectrum instrument guitar, mandolin, banjo they talk all about picks, but bows are pretty important on a fiddle. I know this because, you know, the it's the last thing that a beginner thinks about with their fiddle. They, they think more about the fiddle than the bow. And then they yeah. try other bows and they go, wait a minute. Whoa, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is completely different. I had that experience and I've been scratching on a fiddle since 75 and I would never do it in public, but you know, all the fiddle playing friends that I have, you know, I, I always wanted to play my fiddle just to prove that it can make music and let me see sure. your bow and trading back and forth and stuff like that. And I'm always shocked by how rotten my bows are. And, you know, I've just, so uh, tell me what it, what are your, what do you look for in a good bow? I mean, you know, you get the basic idea.
1: Absolutely, man. And, and they, they, bows play a huge part in the sound of your instrument. and again, it, go, it all goes to the it all goes back to the playability. And, and uh, let know. me
0: interrupt. Let me thank you for saying that now. I can blame my rotten playing on my rotten bow. Thank you.
1: Go <laughs> ahead now. Yeah, that's a, absolutely. I it's just I, need it, a it, better it, bow. It has nothing to do with a musician. It's right. all about equipment. No, it no, could be. <laughs> oh, but um, no, I, I definitely agree with you. The bow is uh, just as vitally important. I remember when I first got my hands on a great bow, I didn't realize how bad. The bow I was using was. And so um, now I've, I've got a Hoyer Perez bow from the early 1900s that I bought from uh, Brian, Christi- Brian Christensen here in Nashville. It's uh, It feels great. Um, it's a great, a lot of Texas fiddle players, uh, you know, use that Hoyer Perez bow. And um, I think Mark O'Connor used one. And I really enjoy the feel of this bow. Um I had a Viom bow at one point, about an eight thousand dollar bow. It's very expensive bow. I felt like I needed to get rid of it because I wasn't using it as much as I should have, and uh, and needed the money at the time. So, um, Viom is is a very sweet uh, sounding bow. Um, I don't, I I couldn't tell you exactly technically how why a bow sounds different than other bows. So for me, it's just about the, the playability and the feel that you get um, and obviously the
0: sound. Well, let me ask you now my dumbest question of all, because since I am a beginner on the fiddle, that I've, I've only been trying the fiddle now for, let's see, 25, 35, only 45 years. So I'm still a beginner. And I I just want to ask, this is probably the, the lamest possible question, but I'm doing it because I have you here. It's like, I've got this fish on the hook and I want to, you know, take advantage of that. So um, here's my question. When I play, I can't decide how tight I should have the bow hair because if I, if I have it nice and loose, I tend to sound really scratchy and sometimes I'm actually dragging the stick on the strings because I can see the wear on the side of the stick. Uh-huh. But if I tighten it, then I get bouncy and I can't control the thing and it's bouncing all over the place. So how do you find that happy medium? I know there's, there's, you know, I tighten it, I loosen it half a turn, half a turn back and forth, trying to find that sweet spot. And I know it depends on where I am on the bow in terms of the length of it, but what, what is, is it just that I'm terrible and I'm never going to be a fiddle player (laughs) or, or should I be doing something different?
1: No, well, uh, I'll say there's no, there, there's obviously, there's no substitute for practice.
0: Uh, oh, but... oh, <laughs> it!
1: that old yeah, me, Mr. There's, practice, I hate that yeah, practice thing. I know, it, I know, it. <laughs> unfortunately, with the fiddle, because it's such a, a finite instrument, you know, there, it, there's involuntary muscles in your hands that you have to use that you don't normally use on, the, on other instruments. You know, there's no substitute for putting putting in the work and the time that it takes to to, to you know produce a, a good sound. But I will say this: it really, really does depend on what kind of bow you're using. Because I've used bows that are more prone to bouncing than other bows. Mm-hmm. So I would I would recommend you know trying out some other bows. Uh, my rule of thumb with the with the bow tension on the hair is is basically the, the faster and more aggressive song you're playing. The tighter the tension needs to be. So mm. if you're playing a if you're playing a slower song or a waltz or or a ballad, then yeah, you can get away with a with a little less tension. But I've never. But there's not a song that I play that the bow would actually, the wood of the bow would actually be resting on the strings as I play. I've yeah. usually have it tight enough to where you don't get that. So I would obviously my rule of thumb is is the width of a pencil is usually the least I would want to t- tighten a bow.
0: Kind of right there and, in the middle of the bow?
1: Yeah, right there in the middle of the bow is, yeah. is usually the width of a pencil between the hair and the stick. Um, if, there's, if I ever find myself where the stick is, is uh, you know dragging across the string, then I feel like uh, I, need to, I need to tighten the bow a little bit more.
0: Let me ask you another thing. I've noticed sometimes just because I'm not paying attention to the way I'm bowing, that sometimes I'll have it leaning to one side or the other. Uh, do you ever do that intentionally or are you always trying to keep the stick directly perpendicular mm-hmm. above the hair?
1: I personally always try to keep it perpendicular, you know, flat against the string, but I see a lot of violin players tilt it, you know, forward um, mm-hmm. to get more of a, of a more lush sound. And, uh, and you can do that. I mean, if there's, uh, if there's a, a slow song or a slow piece of music that you're trying to get out, like, you know, the Ashokan Farewell is a great example. That's a great, beautiful song. You know, I, I'll tend to play more toward the fingerboard, and I'll and I'll try to um, you know tilt my bow just a little forward to get more of a sweeter, softer sound. Yeah. But as of, you know, most of the time I'm going to be playing flat. You know, um, per, you know, harping directly to the, yeah. the strings. Uh, the big thing you want to stay away from is cutting across the strings. You want to make sure that that bow stays, you know, perfectly straight across the strings. So ninety to degrees
0: distance. to the string, just yes. uh, I, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. I was talking to my son. He started playing a little bit of cello with his orchestra. Uh-huh. Um, just first year cello student, and he was bowing, and you know, it looked like he was sawing wood. And I would I would go up there and just sort of make a circle out of each hand and say just you know run the bow through that and don't touch my fingers you know so that you're going in a straight line you know yeah of yeah. course and trying to keep him on on that 90 degrees to the string thing because a lot of people as they pull let's say as you lower your right hand you tend to come towards your body and that sure. you know angles out and then as you come up it's it's coming over your left shoulder you know
1: totally yep. Absolutely. And I tell you, practicing in front of a mirror will help. You know, if you've got something that you can look at, um, I perfect example. I was, I was breaking bow hair every night, my first couple gigs with Ricky. I mean, everything was so fast and aggressive that, yeah. I mean, at the end of the night, I, I'd broken so much bow hair. I mean, I have to have a rebo after, you know, a few weeks Yeah. and uh, a rehair. And so you're like, a,
0: uh, who was the raging Cajun? What was his name?
1: Um, Doug, Doug, Doug Kershaw. Kershaw. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he'd have
0: that hair swinging. It looked like a, yeah. a ponytail hanging off the end of that bow by the end of a set.
1: Yeah, and so there was a um, there was a backstage room that we were in one uh, one time that it was a, it was a room full of mirrors and angles, and so I could when I was uh, practicing before the show, I could see the angle of my bow and how bad I was cutting across the string. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's when I sort of realized, man, I got to really work on this bow, uh, you know, keeping it straight, uh, across the strings. And, um, a good friend of mine told me that, you know, when he started learning that he would take a metronome and, and set it on 60 beats a minute, you know, a beat mm-hmm. every second. And, uh, and he would, he would try to drag the bow across the strings for, for eight, for eight beats at 60 beats a minute. That's hard to do. Yeah. And, Unless you uh, got a 10 foot long bow. You know. Yeah, it's gonna take a long bow. <laughs> but the trick is, is is making a consistent tone and a and a consistent loud volume. You know, for sixty beats a minute, eight beats uh, for one bow stroke. That you know, if you can if you can keep that consistent, that helps. And so that's kind of a good exercise that I I started doing. And you know what the it,
0: problem with these exercises is, and I've come up with many of them for my students. You know, on banjo, I've taught for many many years. The problem is convincing anyone to do it for more than three minutes.
1: Yeah. You know, if, if people yeah.
0: would only do these things and me, me included on certain instruments, I mean, I have so, practiced some things I'm more into than others. But if it's just a matter of how do you convince yourself to, yeah. uh, you know, really well, do it the 10,000 times, you know.
1: And, and I think, you know, setting goals in your practice times are vital. I think if you don't set a goal, you're not going to accomplish much. But if you set a goal and tell yourself, OK, I'm going to get through this exercise, you know, let's just say I'm going to get through this exercise 10 times without messing up. If I get to the 10th time and I miss the last note of the last time, i got to start all over and do it again. Right. So if you if you can set that goal, you may not always reach your goal, but at least you'll accomplish a lot more trying to reach that
0: goal. Yeah, that, that is the exact same thing I've preached to my students over the years. Uh, yeah. I used to equate it. The analogy I used was. When I was a kid, I used to be out in the driveway shooting baskets. And I would yes. say, I gotta make ten in a row before I quit. And oh, if yes. I miss, I gotta start over. And it's the exact same thing. It makes you a better I never turned into a basketball player, but um, Yeah, it's a but, but premise, the concept though. is there. I mean, it's I think I and especially for fiddle, I, I consider the fiddle to be a lifetime commitment because you just mm. it is something that you don't run into people playing three years that sound tremendously great. It's just most of them can't stand to hear themselves at that point. And you gotta really be in for the long haul with a fiddle, I think. And and it's probably true for all instruments, but it's more prone. It's more obvious on a fiddle because tone production doesn't come that you know, you can walk up to a piano and hit a key and everybody sounds great just hit one key boom hey i got my tone down you know but Uh, it's not true with a fiddle
1: yeah it's it's a unique instrument and you're exactly right they're they're very finicky and there's so much that goes into creating a great sound um you know uh, i i think i think more than anything you know you have to stay on top of your practice times with fiddle you know, I'm not taking anything away from the, of a, of great guitar players and, um, you know, mandolin players, banjo players, but I can, I can go a few days without playing my mandolin and I can sort of pick it up and then within a few minutes or, you know, say 30 minutes, you know, I feel, feel loose and warmed up. Yeah. But the fiddle is different. I, if you don't, if I don't play it every day, if I go one day and I don't play the fiddle, it affects me more so than other instruments. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just me personally or what, but I feel like you've got to stay on top of the fiddle a little bit more so, other instruments do you ever um,
0: do you ever feel like playing the other instruments actually harms your fiddle play in any like because you're trying to keep multiple things going in your mind like no, I, i've just been I, curious because a lot of times i've i've recommended people that are yeah. dabbling in everything that look just focus on pick something and, and focus on that and you know i'm just curious yeah no i i don't
1: think it really hurt my playing i think it's it, um uh well, you know, mandolin and fiddle has always went hand-in-hand hand for me. I didn't really start playing a lot of guitar until, um, you know, in my adult life. I you know, started playing a lot more in my early 20s. But the um, the mandolin and fiddle sort of just went hand-in-hand hand because obviously there's the same scale, the same left hand. But I will say this. Um, because I played fiddle first and then picked up the mandolin, there's certain things about the mandolin that, you know, even though it's the same left hand you would play them differently on the mandolin than you would the fiddle for mm-hmm. instance you know on the a string of a mandolin if i want to if i want to jump up to the 7th fret and grab the 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 e note on the a string of the mandolin i'm probably going to use my third finger um on the fiddle it's going to be my fourth finger on the a string so there there is that difference that small difference you know just in the fingering and how you would you know, particularly note the mandolin as a right, and, to and
0: of course the you know finger placement isn't identical because the fret yeah. is where your finger would be on the fiddle, and you got to be south right. of the fret on the mandolin. And, and yeah. you know, there's some other differences, but it is it is one of those things that anybody who plays mandolin should at least try the fiddle, and anybody who plays fiddle probably already yeah. has a mandolin sitting in the corner oh, too. Oh yeah, because oh absolutely, you know the yeah. navigation is the same.
1: Yeah, and and so when I, you know, kind of through my teenage years, um, I would sort of block out time for the fiddle, time for the mandolin, time for the guitar, and time for the banjo I a little bit. Up, I did play the little the banjo, but you know, but the mandolin and fiddle for me, it was always hand in hand. Um, there was always I never hardly went a day where I didn't play all three instruments. Uh, so I think it it just really does come down to you know devoting the time, and and I'll say I'll say this for somebody who that doesn't have a whole lot of time, you know, five minutes a day is better than nothing a day. Yeah. <laughs> so even even if you can spend just five minutes or 10 minutes just to get the instrument out of the case, put it in your hands and play, that'll do so much more for you than if you were to st- stick it in the corner of the room and not get it out for, you know, two or three days at a time. Yep. So,
0: those, uh, those big, long marathon sessions spaced widely apart don't do as much although it is good i mean if you could do big long sessions every day that'd be great but yeah Yeah. to just ignore it for weeks at a time that's how you end up like me as a fiddle player (laughs) i'm not good sometimes i look at it i go yeah where where is my fiddle and i'm like i I generally only play the fiddle and and mercifully to anyone with ears uh, I only generally play it extensively when my wife is out of town. You know, it's like, oh, man. I don't want to, you know, I, I, sure. I don't want to feel guilty punishing people that way. I do have my six or eight tunes that I play over and over and over. And they're getting a little better after 40 some years. <laughs> but anyway, hey, listen, man. I have really enjoyed uh, talking to you here. I want to ask a question that I was talking to a buddy of mine. I said, hey, I'm going to be talking to Andy Leftwich here. And he's a fiddle player, a guy named Mike Estes. And he said, well, ask him, when is he going to do a fiddle album? I mean, a real show Shona fiddle album. You know, not a bunch of original tunes, but, you know, play that Tom and Jerry and yeah. Jack of Diamonds and all that stuff. When are you going to cut the big fiddle album? You know, that's what oh. Mike wants to know.
1: Well, brother, thank you so much for asking me that. And, and tell Mike, thank you for asking that. I um, well. Yeah, you know, fiddle tunes are the meat and potatoes of our of our craft, and so um, I guess for me, you know, there there were so many variations that that you know, fiddle tunes they, they've all been recorded so many times that. Um, but you know, we want to we want to
0: hear you, you know, do it.
1: <laughs> well, I sure appreciate that. Um, I Aubrey Haney put out a wonderful record several years ago that uh, he took Kenny Baker's tunes and he played them. And To perfection. I mean, they were just so great. And uh, I guess uh, you know, for me, I always enjoyed the process of creating and writing a song um, that was inspired by one of those fiddle teams. And um, but I tell you, the front project that I'm working on right now is—I don't know when we'll when we'll get around to to, um, to doing it, but it's a—it's uh, I want to present the American fiddle with orchestra. Uh, uh, there's a lot of string players that you know love fiddle music but you know like we talked about earlier they they didn't grow up in that world and so um there's songs that i'm writing now that are inspired by songs like big Mom and tom and jerry and you know Angelina the baker and and you know i love the song liberty and and so those fiddle tunes uh, are inspiring original songs that I'm, that I'm you know writing for this piece of music to present to an orchestra and have them play you know with me on some things and so that's um i appreciate you asking about that i i may what i like to do is, is sort of you know maybe take a familiar tune that everybody knows and uh uh maybe one or two of those songs on, on a record you know i may i may try to do there's a, a fun you know arrangement of liberty that i've i've, I've come up with well I've listen several times,
0: you so. didn't you didn't ask for my advice but i'm going to give you my advice anyway Just tomorrow, go record like twenty four tunes and put it out as like a secret underground tape, just just for the (laughs) fiddle players. And you don't have to, you know, that you you just need to get in there and get Cody and them guys and get in there. Oh, thank
1: you so much, brother. I'm I'm too much of a perfectionist. (laughs) Well, you you know those Texas
0: tapes where some guy, you know, er, somebody's always got a microphone. They're shoving in amongst the jam.
1: And yeah, Mike
0: totally. has a tremendous collection of these things, mostly probably that he recorded at the, you know, Hallettsville or somewhere like that. And, uh, and it's great music. You don't have to win a Grammy. Just play the tune, you know, play yeah. the tune. So anyway, we're hey, I, encouraging you. We, we'll buy a copy.
1: Oh, Hey, listen, I appreciate that, brother. <laughs> That's uh, that certainly encourages me. Thank you. I'm not but, kidding. You need to do it. Oh man, that'd be fun. Just get yes, you two
0: guitar, get you that group of guitar players, just knock out a Texas fiddle, just cut it all live, and just put it out. We'll hey, be there for you. It. We will be I, there for you, man.
1: Hey, I, I appreciate it. I may have to do that. Yes, sir.
0: Dude, I appreciate your time. We have yacked for over an hour. I'll bet you were already in your driveway by now. You were driving home, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm good. We uh, Where we live is, is out in the country, so my cell signal's not the best. So I, I just kind of pulled over here next to our bank and... and um, Gonna uh, go in and uh, I'm gonna get to the house and, and record a few few songs that uh, I need to get done uh, for some folks and uh, and then enjoy a, enjoy a night um, working on some Christmas music man getting getting geared up for this uh, for this holiday season yeah so. that
0: that sounds sounds fun those those shows and again everybody go to andyleftwitch.com you get all the info and uh, I I assume they can contact you there do you do any teaching. Um, either locally well, or online or anything? I,
1: I, I don't okay. uh, normally. Um, the thing that I do, uh, some of the some churches that I go to, I'll, I'll teach at those churches if we have some kids that, that play. And, uh, and and there's a school that I teach at down in Texas that we open up to the players if they want to come. Yeah but yeah, not, not a whole lot. Uh, I've had a couple of people reach out to me for Skype lessons and it's hard to commit to the time to that. Yeah, uh, I, I should, I should do more of it, but, um, you know, it's, uh, like a, I guess like a plumber who won't fix his own pipes. you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't make time for that, but, um, but yeah, if anybody you know, would request something, then I'll do whatever I can to, to, to help them.
0: Yeah. So. Well, look, I appreciate yeah. that. I'm just curious because I'm sure some of the listeners yeah. might might be wondering that these days, especially during this last year. A lot of people have suddenly become online teachers and stuff, and, you know, yeah. I'm just curious. Uh, but anyway, well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I'm glad you. you made it safely and didn't hit any deer or have any car accidents <laughs> yeah, for the listeners. Yeah. He was driving during the majority of this, and that's uh, that's pretty good. You can actually chew gum and drive at the same time. That's, <laughs> that is much to uh, your credit.
1: Oh, amen. Well, right. I sure appreciate you having me, man. I enjoy talking with you, and uh, reach out anytime, brother.
0: I will do it. We'll, uh, we'll come back and revisit whatever you're doing. Uh, you know, uh, let's we'll see what happens in the spring. Hopefully things will pick up, and you'll be out there just, uh, you know, Making tons of money and playing tons of music, and that that would be great. And I'd, I'd love to see you play live sometime. Anyway, thanks a bunch, and uh, I'll be talking to you.
1: Well, thank you, Brad. And uh, yeah, reach out to me anytime, brother. And I appreciate you having me.
0: Okay, thanks bunch, man. I'll talk
1: to you God later. God bless you, man. Yes, sir. Okay.
0: Hope you enjoyed that as much as i did Andy's a great guy and i hope you will enjoy listening to his music and scoping out his website over at andyleftwich.com and i just want to say very quickly thank you to all of you who have supported the show over on patreon you can go to patreon.com slash bradley laird and support the show and every time you support in any little way that you can it helps motivate me to continue doing this for you and also for any of you who visit BradleyLair.com for all of my free and paid instructional material there's a lot of free stuff and there's some paid stuff there too videos ebooks and courses thank you to anyone who has done that and i hope you enjoyed the show i'll be back with another episode very shortly